This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Have you ever heard of the of the big cat poop coffee? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big deal, but um they like torture those animals now. Like, oh really? They keep, them, they keep them in captivity and they feed them these cherries and then they like come through their poop. <laughs> that's so weird. So that's not good. <laughs> Bunch of fecal filiacs. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Face. Can you talk Hold on, I'm, uh, I'm going to do a coffee sip here. Okay. This is, how you, this is how you sip coffee to taste it. You do tight lips and you inhale very quickly and then you get it to spray across the back of your tongue to get the full flavor profile. All right, hang on a second. I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> oh yeah, that's terrible. That's overextracted. <laughs> It seems like a lot of work. What was me? Dunkin' Donuts does that for me when I order my They ice. also make terrible coffee? They do the flavor profile thing. Really? No. <laughs> not really. Yeah, I, 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 think so. <laughs> I think donuts are their wheelhouse, not coffee tasting, which is called a cupping, by the way, but that's a, that's a discussion for a different time. Okay. You can go to Oakland and get a good cupping. I heard that. okay serious time yeah um (laughs) i don't know how to segue out of this (laughs) uh god you don't know how to go from the word cupping (laughs) xcode tips and tricks I think no. I just did it. Okay, perfect. We're in it now. All right. So we're talking Let's about talk. Xcode tips and tricks. Well, I think the big one when it comes to text editing is is Vim, right? Right, Gordon? You using the, the right. Xvim? The big the big tip is don't use uh don't use Xcode. <laughs> <Try to>, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So I I think we should probably talk about plugins in general cuz I don't think most people know that um you even can or some people know, I'm sure, but I think a lot of people don't even know that you can do plugins in uh, in Xcode, which is a shame. And part of that is because it's not officially supported, right? Like Apple doesn't want you to make plugins. All the frameworks for making plugins are private. Like I wrote a plugin for Xcode 4 that is there, but we're not like really releasing or talking about a lot because it's been obsoleted by... Uh, by Xcode 5, but it's a lot of freaking work to build these things because you have to, it's just like digging through class dumps and trying to figure out how Xcode works and how the different libraries work because there's four different frameworks that you have to link against and you have to build your own, you know, class dump the frameworks and then dig through the header files that are all like 20,000 line header files trying to figure out what the hell things do. Lots of debugger stuff. But once you get one made, like you can do some really cool stuff with it. So like there's XVim, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But then there's also um, there's a great plugin for Dash that allows you to use Dash, right? Oh yeah. yeah, I use Dash. So Dash is a documentation viewer that's much much better than the 
default the Xcode documentation viewer, and, and it works with other doc sets like Ruby stuff, Python, Vim, any doc set you can download, you can install into Dash. Um, and so there's a plugin to allow you to like command click. Is it command click to jump to the? I I actually don't know. I I assume that it would take over the normal uh, keyboard shortcut that you would use to look at the Xcode doc. Yeah, that's what I'm. And so it'll open, it'll open, instead of opening in the default in the Xcode's documentation viewer, it'll open it in Dash instead, which is really great. Uh, what's another one? Like the color picker? Yeah, color sense. That one's a cool one. That one, uh, that yeah. one gives you a small HUD-like window for selecting colors that's similar to how you would select colors uh, across OS X, right? Right, right. It open yeah, it it gives you a color picker and then when you change the color in the color picker, it updates that code for you. So like any time you write like a UI color white color method, it and you hover over it with the mouse or put the cursor over it, it opens like a little swatch in the top right of that method and then you can click that and then change the color and it updates it with like a, you know, color with red, green, blue, alpha value um and it's really actually smart because if it's actually just a grayscale, if you're changing it to just like a deep gray or a light gray it'll just do color with white alpha right like it, it doesn't always use red green blue it's like really smart about how it does the color um are there options like could i use hsb if i wanted to i don't actually know that's a good question um Seems like a lot of the designer kids these days love the HSB. It just makes more sense than RGB. Yeah, it does. I saw a great freaking talk about this, about color stuff at um, NS North in Ottawa last year. I don't remember what the point was, but that was the point, right? Is to like use, use that instead, instead of RGB. If you're a CocoaPods guy, there's this uh, CocoaPods for Xcode plugin. If you're into that sort of thing, oh, right. it, it adds a, a menu item to the product menu, and it lets you basically do like a pod install, optionally installing the documentation at the same time. Oh, that's you, cool. can also, you can also uh, edit the pod file right there in Xcode. Kind of cool. Nice. And then there's the uh, there's a Alcatraz plugin which is like a meta plugin. It's a plugin for installing plugins. That one's useful. Um, yeah, but so there's a bunch of plugins. How many of these? Oh, there's, K, I got to mention KS image named too, because that's from a local Boston guy. Uh, oh, right. Who actually the guy that does, he's half of Flexibits. Um, who does uh fantastic and uh, Chatology, what's that one? Do you know what I'm talking about? The new one? Yes. Yeah, the one for searching your iMessage history. Yeah. And that one gives you autocomplete for uh, image named whatever. UI image, image named whatever. It it parses your index, I think, and it looks at um, all the images that you have and then allows you to autocomplete those names, which is really nice. That's cool. Um, yeah, you can add a lot of functionality to uh, to Xcode through these plugins. And my favorite, my favorite one, and the one that I like really, really rely on is Xvim because I am a uh, 
pretty big Vim fan. Have you ever tried using it? I know you I have, have a big Vim. Not in Xcode, but in uh, Chocolat. Yeah. I've do tried they have Vim a Vim mode? They do. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. So when I was writing integration tests, like we talked about last week, I was writing all that coffee script in uh, Chocolat. Chocolat in Vim mode. Cool. Um, I, can get, I can get around. And, of course, I, I do all my getting from the command line. So when I'm in the, the editor, I'm Viming a little bit. Right. But I am by no means an expert or even intermediate at Vim. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a high-functioning <laughs> beginner, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you slayed me. That was a good one. Uh, I, I can, I mean, I know I have like a few commands in Vim that I really, really like. Uh, CIW is my jam change inside words so it's just like change this word to a new thing and um, mm. i use that one all the time i think as fancy as i get is a cws while i'm squashing so like i'm i'm in an interactive rebase and i'm just squashing commits. oh yeah and it's just like cwsj escape cwsj escape yeah i know there's an even better way with like visual block mode but i'm not i'm not that cool yeah, I don't know. Like I said, like I'm not. I can't visualize this stuff yet. I was kind of. We we had a Vim meetup last night, and I was kind of like, well, I don't. Cool. Like, I don't, yeah. Why don't uh, Why don't we just get Gordon Gordon's fingers on the podcast and ask him some questions? Yeah, right. Gordon's brain clearly doesn't know. Yeah, but XVim XVim. If you're a Vim user, I think um, XVim is kind of like the plugin. Uh, one of our coworkers, Rita, who's also. Uh, he's a designer, and he does a lot of his own Objective-C work. He uses XVim inside Xcode to kind of get stuff done. It's probably the best Vim emulator I've seen, right? It is a re-implement. Like, I, I, when I was building that Xcode plugin, I was digging through their source to kind of figure out how stuff works. And it's insane. Like, <laughs> the source code for X, XVim, it's just a re-implementation of Vim. So it's not like loading in, like, sending stuff into Vim and then pulling it back out or anything. It's actually all in Objective-C, and it's all, like, just re-implemented for Xcode. That's nice because it just sits on top of the IDE portion. I mean, the, really just the the text view, if, if that's what you want to call it. So you still get all of your autocomplete. You, you, you think this is much more favorable than just doing it in straight Vim with like C tags or something for autocomplete? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this earlier today because I knew we were going to talk about this. Um, and I've been kind of like... I've done it a couple times, like looked at just using Vim for editing Objective-C um, or doing iOS work instead of trying to hack Vim into Xcode. Part of me is worried, right? Like when um, when Xcode 5 Developer Preview 3 came out, every plugin just stopped working immediately. Um, because something changed in their plugin and you had to have this very specific UUID inside your P list or whatever. But so it's fixed now, but at that, like there was like a, a day maybe where it was kind of like, Oh crap. 
I, I rely on this thing now and it stopped working and that's not an awesome place to be. No. Like I can obviously get around in Xcode without it. I'm just much faster with it. And my muscle memory at this point expects Vim. I have a lot of stuff. XVim, you can have a .xvimrc file in your home directory and you can set up like key mappings. So like I have... I have key mappings for, uh, like, a remap open quickly to control P. Like, you could do this inside Xcode also. Um, but I have open quickly, remap to control P, and that mimics Vim has a control P plugin that allows you to do some fuzzy finding the same way. I have um, space CM in normal mode to comment and space B in normal mode to set a breakpoint so I can just go space B and now I have a breakpoint space B and now it's off um, which is cool but that's my muscle memory inside Vim now right so if this breaks if XVim actually breaks or if like these frameworks just go away or significantly change or something happens it's going to take me a little while to kind of like get back to like uh, this productivity level that I'm at now, right? right. So that, that worries me. Yeah. If it goes away, you're going to have to learn the, all of the Emacs shortcuts. Right. Which I've actually started using because the text editing portion is the one part of my workflow where I, I'm not great with the keyboard outside of, you know, typing. Right. But I've slowly started been forcing myself to use like Control A, Control E for like, like the start and end of a line, Control P, Control N up and down that's but good beyond that yeah I, beyond that i use the keyboard for everything for like managing the workspace itself right so yeah you have behaviors set up right like behaviors oh i do behaviors mm. if there was a way <laughs> to sync behaviors i'd be so happy oh yeah maybe there is maybe there is if if there's a way to sync behaviors please email me yeah i wonder where they save, i need to know they must save those somewhere inside application support right yeah, I just want to throw that thing in Dropbox. Right, symlink it in. Yeah. Yeah, so I have a command one is, let me think, edit. So that puts everything away, the debugger, the toolbar. It opens up the editor with the assistant editor, and they're nice and centered and everything. Great. Uh, the other one's like project settings, command three. Command four is uh, source control, which is actually my favorite. Oh, so I you use, actually use Xcode's Git stuff? Or do you just use like the blame and the log? And I actually do it when I'm getting ready to open a pull request. I will open up, you know, hit Command 4. It goes into the source control editor. It opens up the navigator to the files with the source control modified filter set. Got it. So I can quickly see everything that's changed. And I can kind of just like run through real quick. And just like see if anything got left hanging out, fix that up before I open the pull request. I used to just open the pull request, look at the compare view right away, and then go back and fix things. Right. But now I just do all that before I even open the pull request. So I use that all the time. I may have to steal that because that'd be faster. Right now I have a, um, I use uh, Kaleidoscope as my diff tool, mm-hmm. um, and I have a, a, a Git alias for review 
So I just type G space review, and it opens up Kaleidoscope with all the changes between my feature branch and the master branch. Um, Wait, that sounds awesome. No, I want to steal that. Let's just switch. <laughs> Let's just trade. Take my behaviors, and I'm taking your Well, no, but stay, staying inside Xcode is nice, you know what I mean? Because I have to, like, switch contacts and switch over to switch. You know you can edit in Kaleidoscope, right? No. You yeah. can? Yeah. You just, you like, what, do- double-click in it? I, yeah, you can, well, yeah, like, you know, grab your mouse like an animal, <laughs> use it. But yeah, my point is you can type in there, which I just learned. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It's crazy. I may, awesome. I may stick with mine. Okay. Different strokes. Yeah. I know, like, on the Rails side, there's a lot of push to, like, internally in the company to stay inside Vim as much as possible. And I've always thought that was interesting because I kind of try to break out of Xcode as much as possible. Um, Not as much as possible, you know what I mean? Like, all my editing is done there, but Git, I do Git just from the command line. I have iTerm2, and I actually have, like, a control backtick mapped to open up a a little visor window. Mm. I, I use that visor. Yeah. Too. Same thing, but I use a uh, option space. Oh, okay. Oh, that's mapped to. <laughs> We're just gonna sit here talking about what all, all of our uh, keyboard shortcuts do for an hour. I know. Uh, and well, while we're on it, so option space is uh, to open up the terminal window. Con- command space is spotlight like normal. I don't use Alfred like you kids. And then uh, a <laughs> control space will open up dash and focus the search field. So I have command space for de- for Alfred, and then option space opens the dash plugin, the dash workflow for Alfred. So I can just type my dash query into Alfred. Mm. It searches from within Alfred, and then I hit enter, and it opens it in dash. Why? Why not just use dash? Dash is fast. So is Alfred. It's just not. It's just one less one less context switch. I just know I'm searching. So fair, fair enough. Let's get back to behaviors, though, because we're, like, way off. <laughs> That's right. Today's a grab bag. Yeah, so I don't, I don't ever use – do you ever use Git's – like, sorry. Do you ever use Xcode's other Git features? So you're just using the diff view, I'm assuming, like the diff assistant viewer or whatever you call it? The yeah, source control editor. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever use – because there's a, there's a blame view in there, too, which is kind of nice. I've used it. Once in a while. Same here. I'm not big on blaming. Log. I'm big on forgiveness. Yeah. I'm big on forgiveness. Let's take that again, Mike. My voice cracked. <laughs> um, but do you ever use, do you ever do you use like the commit features? Like actually crafting a commit inside Xcode? Or do God, you, no. you just do it that all That takes forever. Yeah. I don't understand it. Like you go to commit and then the, the sheet comes up. And then it just sits there with a spinner, I assume, right. like, analyzing the universe. Right. And then finally it comes out and be like, oh, yeah, we, we changed about 10 lines here. <laughs> you want to commit this? Is that your Xcode voice? That's what Xcode sounds like to you? Yeah, does that not sound right to you? No, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, I do all my Git stuff in Terminal. And then shell that out to Vim to make my uh, commit messages and whatnot. Yeah, same here. I got shamed really hard when I started because I was still using the GitHub Mac app. Yeah. Which in some cases is still useful. It it is. It it can do – 
like it's really really nice for doing like patch commits like doing like exactly. git add dash p git i i like git add dash p and i i use it all the time for like just choosing hunks of a file to commit instead of the whole file but then you get to like it, it only works the it only works on its own really really well if you have separate changes so there has to be like one unchanged line between two changed lines in order for you to be able to split that into two different things otherwise you have to jump into the edit mode and manually edit the diff which is always terrifying and the first few every time i get in there there's like this moment where i'm like am i deleting like i know i'm not but my brain is like don't you just wrote that line don't delete it out of the diff that's crazy and it's a lot clearer inside the github app i use the github i used to use the github app a lot for doing exactly that using like really really fine-grained this line this line this line commits yeah that's what i used it for so i think my behaviors i think i stole actually most of them from you um because i have the same basic idea i have like command one opens up my code tab which is same thing hide everything assistant editor open everything else closed uh command two is my project navigator tab so it's just one single window with the the file navigator and then the um whatever the the file attributes on the right hand side of the window you know what i'm talking about i don't know i don't know what that one's called i think it's file i think it's attributes file attributes or something like that yeah or inspector it changes context so it's it's hard to yeah give it a name it's command three. I think command three is design, so it does the same basic thing, but opens. I usually just have a storyboard in there, and it closes the file navigator and leaves the right hand panel open. Right, that's what my command two is. I that I forgot earlier. So we just ours are the same, but we have two and three flipped. I find that even though I have the behavior set up, a lot of the time I just forget about them because I'm busy thinking about something else and i just want to manually manage the window so i think it's good to know all those shortcuts as well yeah because i'll always end up in like i have a behavior set up for when output happens from a run like when something gets spit out to the log to open a debug tab with like the i think it's got the issue navigator open uh an editor an assistant editor the the console window and the the variables view where you can you know what i'm saying right yeah the left side of the yeah 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 debugger yeah um so yeah the all that stuff pops up and so i always end up in that screen and needing to fix something and i could either hit command one and flip back to my code view and then reopen those files that i need to look at there or i could just open them uh, or I could just do the edits there and get rid of that stuff if I need to get rid of it. So Command-Shift-Y to hide the debug or show the debug navigator, right? Yep. And uh, Command-Y to toggle breakpoints. I use that all the time. What else are good ones? Uh, yeah, Command-Enter will just open the single editor view, and Command-Option-Enter will open the assistant editor. I think the the option thing is my favorite kind of tip for xcode keyboard navigation in that if you know the keyboard shortcut for something on the left side of the screen 
if you hit if you use option and do that same keyboard it will do the comparable thing to the right side of the screen so like options or command zero opens and closes the left hand sidebar and option command zero open opens and closes the right hand sidebar. yeah i hadn't thought about it that way but i i love that kind of consistency command shift o like if you're using open quickly and you hit command shift o and you type something out you hit command it opens in the editor window and you hit option command and it opens in the assistant editor always like Option. What's the what's that? What's the modifier for when you're opening something in Open Quickly, and then you get that heads-up display where you get to choose where you want this file to open? By the way, we're going to compile these and post these in a GitHub repo. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not sure. I know that it'll pop up. I know that it will pop up if you you can hit Command J to open up that little HUD that you're talking about, and. That will allow you to open up a second assistant editor, so you'll get a horizontal split in the assistant editor. And then when you do, when you try opening something, um, when you try opening something in the, when you hit open quickly, hit option command, it'll ask you where you want to put it. Um, It'll ask you which window you want to put it in. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's a cool feature that I always forget about. Yeah, but you have to have two, you have to have two editors open at that point. I see. Um, if you only have a single assistant editor, it'll just put it in the sis- single assistant editor. There probably is a keyboard shortcut for that, but I can't remember what it is. Hmm. And we had the same basic discussion at Coco Heads here in Boston, like, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago, and no one could remember it then either. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. One I use to get around in files is a Control-6. Constantly. And that one opens up the list of methods inside the file that you're focused in. And then from there, you can just start typing. And the selection will move through that menu, filtering it down until you get to the method you want. So I jump around files using that mostly. You can also search the pragmas by just typing. And I'm sure, as you know, I'm crazy about the pragma organization of my files. Well, I think that's useful, right? Like... I think that's an example of a use, useful kind of comment, right? I mean, it's essentially what it is. Is a like when you're using the pragma mark stuff, it's mm-hmm. basically a code comment, but it's a nice code comment. Like I, I, I normally hate, I hate kind of all code comments. I'm with you. Yeah, in, but in it, general, it, it reflects in the UI. So right, yeah, because because those pragma marks show up inside this list of methods, and you can search on them. So you can say, I mean, you could search on it anyway. Um, but since you can search on it inside this, so if I know I need to go where the UI table view delegate methods are, I can hit Control Six UI T A B L E V right, and by that point it's narrowed it down, and I can grab the table view delegate pragma jump right to that it's really nice i'm, I'm gonna throw this tip out there because i just learned this that you do not have to type the uh return type of a method you can just do the type of method so plus or minus class or instance start typing the method name and then expand it yeah i can't i, I didn't learn that until like may and i can't believe i didn't know that it's yeah i i all the time yeah and it it's nice too because like we've talked about kind of 
public versus private stuff before, but if you, it almost encourages you because it doesn't happen in the header, right? Like you can't define a method in the implementation and then jump to the header and have that happen. But if you define your method in the header and then jump to the implementation, you totally get that. So if it's a public method, you get, there's a incentive to, to define it in the header first. My, I think my favorite one along those lines is the one that I can't believe I didn't know and you showed me like three weeks ago <laughs> and, and it blew my mind, which is that if you have a auto-completion token or a, if you auto-complete a method and it has like a, a parameter token, you can hit enter to accept that token's value. So like... It's useful, like if you're saying um, super view did load, right? So, so if you have to declare super view did, uh, sorry, view did appear animated, or view will appear animated, rather. Um, so you do view will, and then tab to complete that, and then it's on the animated the token where you would just type in the word animated because you're just passing the variable through. You can just hit enter, and it accepts the word animated there. So you don't have to type it. So that's useful in and of itself. But if it's a block parameter for a for a method. So if the method takes a block, instead of having to remember the block signature, you can just hit enter there and it fills out the block signature, puts in the curly brace, drops you to the next line, and puts in the col- closing curly brace. It's just I've been typing that stuff out <laughs> this yeah, entire get- time. <laughs> I get why you hate the block syntax so much. Kind of jumping back to comments, I think two things that are useful there are that Xcode will Xcode will recognize links inside comments. So if like you found if 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 you have to do some kind of super hack and it did come from a specific like stack overflow thing or maybe like you're using a hacky way to do something but you have a pull request into the library like what I'll do like I said like I hate code comments but if I'm doing something like that I'll put like a comment in there that just says we have to do this because this is what happens I fixed the issue here's a pull request to to watch so that like if that pull request is closed then we can and merged in then we can get rid of this kind of weird thing and that's nice to have those links recognized inside the thing so you can just click on it yeah i wrote a github api wrapper recently and i decided that after the opening brace for the method right next to that i added a comment that was a link that takes you straight to the json response in the github api docs so you're working in this method and you're like, oh yeah, what does this thing give back? Instead of having to like throw some code in the app delegate and run it real quick, right. just jump over and look at a sample response. Yeah, that's good. That's nice. We could also use we could also talk about uh to do and fix me comments, right? Because we do have in liftoff, which we've talked about before, but we have that build phase um that run script phase of the build process that that will turn those into compiler warnings, which is super useful. But you said you don't you you use those, right? Like I I use them too, but you said you don't leave them in there. Yeah, I said a little before. I I just use them as I'm yeah kind of moving around through the code. Like it's something 
that I need to do, but I need to go do this other thing first, as always seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I'm going to forget. But luckily, I am completely anal about warnings. Right. So it's too. perfect. It just reminds me that there's this thing that I have to go do. But I will never open a pull request with to-dos or fix-me's in it. It's like saying, like, eh, somebody else can figure this out. Screw you guys. I've used them in this project where we're building out a like a library of UI elements and it's I can't like the, I have to tap on this cell and it has to go to a new screen but that screen isn't implemented yet and I implementing it would be outside of this scope so kind of to let just as like a bookmark almost or like to let somebody know like look I totally know that this isn't implemented yet it will be this is where it should go throw a to do comment in there um, I don't mind them as much as long as they're not sitting around for like six months. You know what I mean? Um, but, but I think that's the risk though, is that you go in and implement it and then you leave it and yeah, but I'm like you and I, the warnings drive me crazy. Um, so I want to get rid of them as soon as possible. Okay. Cause they're, they're noisy, right? It's just every time I freaking run, I've, I don't like seeing the little orange icon up in the fake yeah. LCD window or whatever. But that's you. Like you don't know that some other person down the line when they implement this thing is going to take that out or remember to take it out. So like that's why I take those, I collect them and put right. them into like Trello, make cards for them or you know, whatever yeah. you use for project tracking over there. I get that. I do think it's better than it is on the rail side. Like I've been talking about this a couple times recently with people um Internally, like with people here who uh, have gotten on projects where there were like a bunch of to-do comments inside like a Rails app. And they were like, this is awful. Never use these. These never work. And I told them all what like this happened to totally isolated times like in the past week. And I told them exactly what what the build the script phase does in liftoff. And they were like, oh, that's actually a much that's a really good – like, they kind of work at that point, right? So it's it's noisy and there's warnings, but at least you're not going to – they're not going to be invisible, right? Right. Yeah. Sometimes having a compiler is really nice. Yes. <laughs> a lot of times. Um, it's my right-hand man. Yeah. You and LLDB, LLVM, rather. Yeah. We're cool. He's an awesome dragon. <laughs> yeah. You ever use Xcode build? No. Well, like once per project when I'm setting up Jenkins. <laughs> but actually, no, I don't even use Xcode build anymore because use I use XC tool. XC tool. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Fred Potter. Right. Big fan of XC tool. Yeah. That was pretty pretty awesome. I was like like getting back to the plugins thing. Most plugins, most Xcode plugins are actually set up really smartly so that they have their build directory set to the plugin directory, which is like buried inside your library folder so that you can do a git clone, like clone down the X, the XVim repo, for example, uh, it may not work with XVim cause it, I think he recommends building it with Xcode five right now, but you could like pull down, um, OM color sense, right? Pull it down and then, 
CD into the directory and then just run Xcode build and then it builds it, puts it in the right location, and then you're done. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of cloning and opening projects, do you use an alias for opening Xcode? Like opening a, a workspace or opening a project? I have OXW and OXP set up. So you, you have to specify if it's a workspace? How do those work? Just simply does. It just does open wildcard.xc workspace or .xcode project. So I wrote a script that I had assigned to X that looked in whatever the current directory was, looked for a workspace file. If it didn't find a workspace file, it fell to the a project file and then opened that. And I was using that for months, and it was awesome. And then I found out that Xcode totally does that by default. If you open a directory with Xcode from the command line, so if you do open, um, if you do open dash a Xcode like with quotes around it, and then dot whenever you're in that directory, right? So open this directory with Xcode. Xcode is smart enough to look in that directory, find an XC workspace file. If it doesn't find an XC workspace file, it looks for an Xcode project file. If it doesn't find an Xcode project file, it does nothing. That's amazing. Right. Hold on. That's I'm what I said. my alias. Yeah. So I actually have two right now. I have um, X and then I have X-pre. Does that do what I think it does? I don't know what you think it does. What do you think it does? Pre opens up versions of Xcode. Yeah, that it, are it, yeah, it opens pre-release up pre-release versions. Yeah, it opens up it opens up the Xcode five developer preview right now because um, I just download those and I just rename them all to the same thing so that it doesn't matter. I don't have to change the alias, so I can open it up in Xcode or or the Xcode five developer preview from the command line. I use those I don't know a hundred times a day, just like constantly. Um, because I also use CocoaPod, so the index gets messed up a lot. So I have to close. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> close. Oh, that's another good alias. Here's a good alias. Fux code is a good alias. <laughs> oh, it is fux code. Yeah. I thought the first three letters of that were one word. Either way. And you could put <laughs> you it all together. Could do, you could do either way there. Fux code does rm rf library developer xcode derived data. Yeah. Um. That is a handy alias. I, I actually don't. I think I don't think it's as bad for people normally. But CocoaPods, if you have the project open and then you run pod install, it can really really confuse Xcode, and then you end up with build succeeded twenty three errors, that kind of thing. Files not getting color. Yeah, color. I hate that. I, I've gotten really good at this really quick dance where I go command shift K command option shift K option space to hit into the terminal D E D delete the drive data <laughs> option space to close the terminal and we're back. <laughs> yeah. So that's cleaning, uh, cleaning the build or, and then cleaning the build folder. Yeah. And then deleting the drive data. I should just include a step to quit Xcode and restart and then we're good. I still occasionally bump up against the, uh, library not found L pods issue. And I think I know why that's happening. I, I think it happens if you have your Xcode, Xcode scheme settings set to parallelize your builds. So you've, you've effectively, effectively created a race condition where 
your main target finishes building before the pods targets finish. And so then it goes to look for this like compiled library and it's not done yet. And that uh, it only seems to happen after after cleaning, so that makes sense. So once I've stopped parallelizing my builds, it's fine. Don't you think Xcode should be smarter about that? Like if it is parallelizing the builds, it should be like, okay, maybe don't link everything until everything is built. Yeah, actually, as I was, as I was saying that, I started wondering if I had something set up wrong, like some dependency. Yeah. Like I, I should be able to say that my main target is dependent on these pods targets, but parallelize when, where you can. Right. I'm going to have to look into this. Do you ever use um, like uh, LLDB plugins? Not plugins, but LLDB scripts? No. No, I don't. Do you? Yeah. I have a... What is it? So if you have an LLDB init file, um, dot .LLDB init in your home directory, you can, you can have commands in there that then become available to you inside LLDB. So the one I use all the time is um, RD. So I just type RD, and it prints out a recursive description of the entire view hierarchy as it exists right now. Um, It's essentially just an alias inside LLDB for, what does it do? I don't even know how to read this thing, to be perfectly honest. But PO, application, shared application, key window, recursive description, but then it loops through those and then also gives passes those into another recursive description. So you just get like a recursive description of every single view element on the screen. All of them. Which is kind of nice because I was getting a crash in Xcode 5, or sorry, iOS 7, and I couldn't figure out why it was crashing. And it had to do with table view cells. And in iOS 7, they've changed the way there's a private class that they've changed the way table view cells are implemented just a little bit, just enough to cause this crash because I was doing some hacky view hierarchy lookup stuff, which you shouldn't do anyway. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is why you shouldn't do it because <laughs> I, <had to, laughs> I had to debug this stupid thing. Um, but it was really useful for that. It was like, well, why is this happening? Let me print out a recursive description of the screen as it is right now. And then I found the view that I thought was there and it totally wasn't. And it was a totally different view. And so I was able to kind of dig in that way. What else you got besides recursive description? Do you know about... That's the only one. This isn't necessarily LLDB related, but do you know about debug description? Yes. Yeah. We use that a lot. Um, Yeah. I've just started using that. I think it's nice, but I think think you can leave out important information. (laughs) Like there's a point in one... one of our models, I feel like I need to go in and add some information to the debug description because I'll get like super helpful stuff like from tests that say like expected user ID one name Gordon got user ID one name Gordon because I overrode the debug description. I didn't like, uh, you know, it's checking object equality when it should probably be testing value equality or whatever and for some reason they're not matching up but i don't have the info and the debug description that's telling me what's actually different does that make sense yeah so that that drives me crazy sometimes but yeah i do know debug description is super useful um should we just say what that is briefly i guess 
I mean, it's just a string, right? It's a string that you can you can construct yourself on any object. You can pass, you can implement debug description and then pass back a string that can be string with format. It could be just a literal string, whatever, um, that describes how that object will be represented in the debugger. Yeah, so if you do PO for an object right. on an object and that object implements debug description, it will log that. Failing that, it will just log description. But it allows you to kind of differentiate. Right, and so that's implemented at the higher levels as just like the class name and the memory location. Right. I, I also, I've gone back down to a one display workflow. So for a while there, I was keeping my notebook open mm-hmm. on my left while all my main work was going on on the right. But I'm far too prone to distraction. <laughs> so I can't have, like, I cannot have our everyone campfire room up on a second screen while right. I'm trying to work because I will just be looking at every GIF that gets posted. Right. So I keep it closed. Maybe I should be running full screen. But the, uh, the transition between spaces really starts to grate on you after about the hundredth time, you know, that, that like sliding animation, it's just too slow or something. What, yeah. The only reason I use full screen is because I'm on Mavericks. Like I don't think I use full screen more than for like five minutes to see what the deal was on, on uh, mountain lion or anything before that. Um, but on Mavericks, it's really nice <laughs> using full screen. Um, What's changed or can you, yeah, they talked about it. So you can do you can do full screen on multiple monitors simultaneously. So the old way it used to work was if you did full screen, you did have two monitors, then the second monitor becomes useless. It's literally just gray linen. Like it was, it's like a joke. Yeah, um, adding insult to injury. Right, right. Uh, and now they've kind of changed the way displays are handled. So um, you end up you can do full screen on one display and still have a desktop on the other display, or you can do full screen on one display and have another app full screen on the other display. So like I'll do full screen on my main display just for Xcode. And that's basically the only thing that I'll use it for, but that's because I also use Xcode five full time right now. And I just like the way it looks so much better and it works so well with full screen. I I think my number one feature about Xcode five is that the, the gutters in the editor yeah. with the line numbers are transparent. What a concept. Are they, so, I mean, are they transparent? Is that the way it works? It's, it's coloring yeah. the entire editor back behind those. And then those are just transparent. Yeah, my, through. But just looking at it, I, I think it's like white with like maybe 10% like alpha roughly. But yeah. So like at home I use a dark theme because I have a very dark apartment and it's kind of my, my thing like working in the dark with headphones on. Right. But at work, I use a really light theme, and that's fine. But with the dark theme, those white gutters just stood out, especially when I'm, I'm in my, you know, using my edit behavior and the toolbars put away and mm-hmm. everything's opened up. Everything's, like, nice and dark except for these except for, stupid gutters. Right. That, like, right. sticking out like sore thumbs. So you use, do you use line numbers in Xcode? I do. I don't think I would if I didn't also use um, Xvim, but, like, Oh yeah, you know, right. getting getting around um, without line numbers in Vim is not super fun. Like 
you know, well, I mean, you can do it. You just like hold J or K or whatever, jump up and down lines. But, um, you know why I do it? I don't. It's because I obsessively check the length of my classes. Oh, yeah. That's and, a good reason to do it. Yeah. Like, that's basically the only reason I have line numbers on is because yeah. I'm in a view controller and I'm like, oh, and like in my head, like 300 lines is like this magic boundary where as soon as I cross it, I'm like, uh oh, something's not right. I'm doing something wrong here. Yeah. 300 seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's including all like the comment stuff at sure. the top though. Yeah. That's, right. that, that's a good like 12 lines by itself, I think. Yeah. For that reason, I think we should solicit tips. Like email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com. Yeah. For tips. And yeah, if there's anything we didn't mention that you can't live without, I want to know about it. So please, please, please. Send it to us. If email isn't your thing because you're young and hip, hit us up on uh, app.net or Twitter, just at BuildFace. What about all the stuff we talked about? You want to put that in the, in the show notes? Tell, yeah, them, tell, yeah, them, tell them where the show notes are, Gordon. The show notes. Give them the Earl. <laughs> the Earl. <laughs> the show notes for this show are going to be at um, learn.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash five. This episode was produced by Chad Pytel, recorded and edited by Mike Manor.